Welcome to Money with Alpha, where I share simple tips for how to make, save and invest money while also connecting your values with your lifestyle so you can achieve the life you really want. You will also hear interviews from real people as they share the ups and downs of their money journey. After all, we are all on a journey and what better way to learn about money than to hear what hasn't and has worked. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Money with Alpha. And today I have a very special guest. I am joined by the lovely Emma Gilmore from Hope is Rising Coaching. And Emma is, she's quite an extraordinary person. I've, I met her um, through another mastermind group that we're in, and she does something really, really special, which is helping women through alcohol and their relationship with alcohol. And she's a registered counselor and psychotherapist. She's got so many things on her list of what she's accomplished and what she does and where she's been featured. Um, and there's there's a lot to the journey. And I really wanted to explore that with, with Emma today. And while there is a financial aspect to the alcohol, it's also then the human aspect too, and how it impacts our lives and our relationships, which creates potentially additional tension, which just flows on into every other aspect of our life. So welcome, Emma. And thank you, Alpha. And please share a little bit more because I've I've barely touched on on your journey and how and I'd love to hear it in your words as well how you've come from where you were and where you are now and what also led you to to help other women through the journey too because some people just work on themselves and just leave it there but you've taken it another step further to expand your impact which is beautiful so please share your your journey. No problem at all. Thank you so much for the lovely introduction. I very much appreciate it. Yes, my name's Emma and I came to be- became an alcohol coach and psychotherapist in a bit of a funny funny way. It was never it wasn't my original career. I started off in corporate marketing. I'm from England originally and I worked for Warner Brothers in Soho from like 23. I think pretty much soon, straight out of uni, I did a few temp jobs and then I got a job at Warner Brothers and I was like, I've made it. Life is <laughs> fine. And I was only like a customer service person. I sort of worked my way up. I did all sorts of different things in there and eventually ended up working in marketing and customer marketing. And I was lucky enough to you know, be part of that whole scene in the 90s and just really enjoying Soho, really enjoying the bar culture, that sort of media culture, um, very much drinking and partying, but also working really hard as well. Um, And I grew up with parents who drank to what I thought was a kind of very normal amount of alcohol, probably now it might not have been considered that but I was brought up in that way that many of us were at that time where parents often thought that it was a really good thing to do to introduce their kids to alcohol young it was kind of like um I don't know a bit classy a bit like sort of you know we've got a European approach to alcohol people would say (laughs) as if that was like a really good thing um it's like the posh end of the street of alcohol (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness um but basically what it was is like you know we'd have a bit of wine with our dinner and really from sort of 11 onwards and as we got into sort of our teens we'd drink beer and we'd kind of socialize in that way with our parents as much as with anything else and it was very much part of my upbringing never thought anything untowards about it at all and then I moved to Australia in 2011, I think it was, Mm -hmm. and I really struggled when I moved over here. We really struggled to get a job. 
Um, I had two very young kids. I had a 10-year-old, a 10-month-old and a two and a half-year-old. And I sort of came over, was trying to kind of climatize them, find somewhere to live and find work. And the only work I could find that was what I wanted to do was contract work. Mm-hmm. And so I kept doing all these contracts. And what I found with that was it was like you were constantly on trial. Yeah. I found it quite stressful. So I ended up my, one of my, along with alcohol, another one of my coping mechanisms is, is work. So mm-hmm. I have a tendency to, like so many of us, yeah. um, work overly hard. And I think I put my heart and soul into really trying to get a permanent role here in Australia, um, trying to be the best in a very, very competitive market. And so I was working for companies like Disney and Mars. And then I had a interaction with a boss in a a company, my final employer, and I wasn't able to deal with it very well. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't able to deal with it very well, I think, because reflecting back on it now, I had been pushing myself so hard. I had been using alcohol to sort of numb and control. I wouldn't. I wasn't what you would call like a drop. You know, I wasn't probably somebody that you'd signal out as being somebody who looked like they were drinking too much or seemed like they were drinking any more than anybody else. But I know that I'd started to notice that I was drinking more than I wanted. Like I'd set myself, I was going to drink two glasses of wine. I'd end up finishing the bottle. And then I'd make myself bad because of that. I'd be Mm. like, oh, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I drink like normal people? Which is something I hear people say a lot. Why can't I drink like, why can't I just have two glasses of wine? And we berate ourselves. Um, And so I started, you know, I I was using alcohol, but there was also stress. There was adrenaline. There's a whole sort of cluster of components that led to me being actually far more brittle then I appeared on the outside. And I think to the outside world, I appeared like I had it made. I had a great job in a really great company. Mm. My kids were doing fine. Everything seemed very normal, very normal. Um, I was running 10Ks like three times a week. I looked and, you know, to, as I said, to everybody outside, I looked fine. But on the inside, I wasn't fine. I wasn't fine. And it only took, it didn't take that much Mm -hmm. for me to have an interaction with a person who potentially didn't like me or whatever, you know, had taken against me, somebody new who came into a role more senior than me. And I just didn't cope with their um, way of dealing with me at all well, to the point where I ended up stopping my job. Um, I left, I was really devastated because my job had been my identity more than anything Mm. else in the world even more so than drinking um but it had been my identity and I didn't feel that having had that experience I wanted to go back into what I was doing for my job so I took a bit of time at this point I was rebuilding myself up from sort of a breakdown but as part of that I started drinking more because I was feeling really low about myself. And I remember there was a few things that happened in that particular year, but it was a very stressful year. And it was a, I don't know who I am kind of year. I don't know what I'm going to be. And I was in free fall, it felt like. Um, But I remember there was a situation where we were having a party at home and I went to put my 
eldest kid to bed mm. and he said to me, mum, can you not bring, he think he was 11 at the time. He said, mum, can you not bring wine into the bedroom when you're putting us to bed? Because it makes me feel anxious. Mm. And that was, it didn't stop me. Like I carried on, I had the party and then the next day it sort of started eating away at yeah. me. And there was a couple of other things that happened that I just didn't, like just little alarm bells going off in my brain just to say something's not right here. Mm. And then, and this was actually quite out of character for me, but it was, I think it was probably my biggest, one of my biggest signals was that I I, I wasn't enjoying being with people. Mm-hmm. And I found, um, I, I was really ashamed of what had happened at my workplace. I felt really ashamed Mm. not to be this person that I thought I was. And I think that sort of, again, added to me drinking more than I wanted to. But I remember we were going away for a camping trip and I found it quite stressful. I didn't really want to go. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning and everything was really busy in the house. And I just, I went and got myself a bit of gin. I poured it into a glass and I had a gulp. And I was like, and this was, it. I'm like, I would have had like a gin and tonic in the morning or something with, like my grandparents or all that kind of thing. But this was different. This was I was pouring myself yeah. a straight gin in order to get through something. Yeah. And that was when I thought, do you know what, this – and I started doing this whole kind of like dry July, sober October, yeah. hating every second of it. And then during this process I started to retrain as a counsellor and psychotherapist because I was really interested in psychology and I'd done a bit of psychology in my master's when I was um, at uni and I thought this is where I want to go and then I found this program and I did 30 days alcohol free I had decided I wanted to take a year off alcohol and see what it would be like to have all the different experiences of life without alcohol and see if I could manage that, see if that was okay for me. Yeah. And um, I did this 30-day program. Within two weeks, I stopped. I, I was like, I was so extraordinarily, like, knocked away by the fact that I stopped wanting to drink. Like, I literally yeah. was like, I have no desire yeah. to drink. Mm. And it blew my mind. And I was like, I cannot believe that me, who was like, what would like a pretty good boozer became a had literally gone I don't want it I've got no interest in it it's lost it's appealed to me yeah I could take it or leave it and I'm going to choose to leave it yeah and that to me was the holy grail because the idea of sitting and not drinking but wishing I was seemed like a really like what that wasn't the life I wanted to live Mm. I wanted to be either I was either going to be a drinker go all in or I wanted to not drink, but not want to drink either. I don't want to be sat there on the sidelines wishing I could, like, you know, someone looking yeah. through the <laughs> Denial. Please, can I come in? Yeah. Um, and I found that that wasn't the situation. So I had this, what they call spontaneous sobriety, but in reality, it, it had taken quite a few years to, <laughs> to, to get there, yeah. spontaneous place. Yes, um, the overnight and, success. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> And so it was that that led me to think, well, I'm training in counselor, as a counsellor and psych- psychotherapist anyway. Why don't I train in this methodology as well and add this to what I do so that my specialism then becomes working with women in yeah. midlife, because I'm in midlife, perimenopausal woman yeah. who's 50, and, you know, have the two work together so I can then share my just overwhelming excitement about Mm. 
this lifestyle when you don't wish it was something else Um, and and help other people to have the same experience because there's so many people who stop drinking and just spend their whole time wishing they were drinking and that is really tough yeah that it's that kind of like oh I want the chocolate but I won't have the chocolate yes and you you're in a constant state of denial and your body feels it it's exhausting. You're a shame if you yes. if you overstep and yeah. And it's it's a little bit like with even with money and spending, people are like, oh no, I want I want I'll, I'll either be a spender or a saver. And it's yes. one or the other. I was like, well, we're not really that linear as human beings. Yeah. We can, I mean, when it comes to alcohol, it's a little bit different. But and spend well, I mean, even spending can, can become addictive as well. Yes. But there's there's a real identity piece that goes with it that underpins all that, which is what we were talking about before we hit record. Yeah. And for you, how do you find for yourself and then with your clients? Because I see this as well. People identify themselves as a certain way with money um, and it's stories and beliefs and all of that that, that that underpin all of it. How does that come up in your world um, and the belief and the identity that goes with all of that that you found, your journey, and then also working with your clients? Yeah. Well, for me, it's just been the most extraordinary experience because I was saying to Alpha before we came on that I actually changed my Myers-Briggs, which is a person, one of those personality tests that they do in corporate, in industry a lot, mm-hmm. um, to kind of define what type of person you are. And and, and yeah, they're yeah. supposed to be, it's supposed to be like infallible. And for years and years and years, I did Myers-Briggs and yeah. I would get the same um whatever it's called like grade I don't know what, it, what you yeah, call it same it, was EN, it was like ENTJ it was like yeah, the yeah. perfect person to be working in corporate as a yeah. leader yeah and yet yeah. when I stopped drinking I came back and I was like an I N and I cut F E or something. yeah yeah it's like quite quite opposite Quite opposite. So in, so I had spent my whole adult life thinking I was an extrovert who loved parties, who loved other people, who um, just wanted to be out there doing and pushing and striving and, you know, grinding. And turns out that's actually not my personality at all. It's like that's a, that's a defense mechanism, a safety that I created for myself in order to keep myself safe in the world that doesn't value introverts yeah. and quiet people and people who prefer one-on-one conversations to large group conversations and so on yeah. and so forth. And also, you know, I remember being a little kid now, and since I've stopped drinking, there's this whole sort of like, you know, you start to go through or you start peeling back. Yeah. Or, you know, Analyze you know. your, your history. And I'm like, I was, I people used to come around to my house to play and I used to, you know, be hidden in my bedroom reading my book and my mum would be like, come on, Emma, we've, we've invited these people. <laughs> my poor sister used to have to play with them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's, and I can see that at some point over those different, I can see all the different times where I made that decision, oh, this isn't, okay how I am is not okay and that's what I find with most humans who drink who Mm. wish they didn't there's things that are in there that are somebody somewhere told you at some point that you weren't okay or you Mm. made that decision based on your experience of the world so you made like two and two equals five I'm the bad guy yeah. I need to change. Not that, because I think as small people from everything I've learned in psychology, it's like small people, we can't look at the world and go, 
the world is bad or our caretakers weren't as attentive as they could be or all of this other stuff we have in order for it to be acceptable palatable for us it's almost like we we have to make ourselves responsible for it and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to fix ourselves yeah the stories we tell ourselves and And we'll either go one way or the other like I said my my family I grew up around a lot of drinkers and heavy drinkers uh, and I went the total other way I was like not touching the stuff because I see how you guys are changing. And I remember as a child watching this and just going, oh, I don't like this at all. And if that's what alcohol does to people, I'm not going to touch it. (laughs) Whereas I have cousins who went down the other path who grew up with the same kind of environment and they became drinkers. So it's really interesting how we can sort of choose our part. Well, choose some uh, to some level to a great degree it's unconscious but as children we 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 choose the path that we want and then the stories that we need to tell ourselves to justify the path we're on that's exactly it and I think you know so often we hear in with the humans that I work with generally most people aren't just regular Joes like you or I there's nothing unusual about the people who have decided that alcohol isn't um, working for them anymore but often there's a very very strong belief um, there might be something like um, I will be alone there might mm-hmm. be something like I'm not good enough there might be something you know there's a lot of beliefs about ourselves which keep us doing things that might be harmful because unconsciously we're afraid that if we don't, we won't be part of the gang or someone will judge us as having a problem. And therefore, if we're just judged as having a problem, then we'll be excluded or then we won't be the same or then we won't be able to drink like normal people, which is, a you know, in and of itself is a fact. Or we're better than everyone else and we're judging others for drinking because secretly they're judging themselves and they think that person's judging them. It's, yeah, and there's so much cultural subtext to all of this, which we spoke about too. And I, I remember I started out in accounting when I finished uni, um, and they drink, accountants yes. drink, yeah. Um, and I, I didn't, so I missed out on all. Like on Monday morning, they're all telling their their stories about what happened on Friday night. One of the guys slept under the table at work, and all of this. And I'm there just going, yeah. I got up early in the morning. I went for a jog on Saturday. Yeah, you know, I was, I was, yeah. it never interested me. But it, there was an element of exclusion that went with Absolutely. that. Absolutely, so. and I think while you're in it as well, like I remember. I and I totally get why people and I often find that people sort of make a bit of a wide berth around me sometimes, you know, especially in sort of like uh, career kind of things or, you know, things where networking events, it's like, oh, no, she's not for us because she's a non-drinker. And it's like it's quite interesting how you can you can kind of watch it happen. But I myself would have probably been exactly the same Mm -hmm. because I had this belief that I was a fun person and fun people drink. Mm. Um, it was a, it's absolute nonsense. You know, I was yeah. very rarely fun when I was, you know, s- slurring my words or, you know, and the things I used to might have been quite sexy and cool when I was in my 20s, certainly when I entered my, you know, 45 and I was still sort of like trying to be the life and soul of the party, dancing on the tables. And, you know, when I, I'll see photos or videos, I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's no longer the, you know, the, the sort of image that I necessarily, the, 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 the picture I have in my head of how this looks isn't how it looks. <laughs> For other, yeah. Yes. It's, and also because as we age, 
you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, wow, who's this person with all these extra wrinkles and some gray? Like, I, who, yeah, it's, it's an interesting kind of concept that our identity changes as we get older as well. I mean, even, even becoming parents changes our identity substantially because you're like, well, who am I now? I'm not just me. I'm a mum, but I'm a wife. So like, and then, and you kind of have these reflections, like, how did this happen? How, how did, I, I even know. just had a friend the other day. He's like, how did I become the mum with the minivan? Yeah. You know, she's like, just, oh my goodness. It's so, yeah. So that identity, the beliefs, the stories, society, all of this and challenging that is really important. And being accepting of ourselves and one another, I think is, is a key to all of this. And I think it's really interesting what you're saying as well, because one of the things that I find with a lot of my clients, a lot of my clients are sort of in their 40s, in their 50s, Mm. people, perimenopausal humans, and they often are like suddenly the estrogen starts to um, reduce and suddenly the reality of how we're managing our lives kind of becomes very, very clear. And often we start drinking more or alcohol has a worse effect on us. It suddenly, like where we used to be able to drink a few glasses of wine and feel fine, that's not the case anymore. And so all of a sudden we're getting really drunk. We're like, I've only had a glass of wine. What's going on? And it's a hormones. It's it's insane. And also that whole, like you say, you wake up and it's like, oh my goodness, I am 45, 45, 46. And suddenly I'm here and I'm kind of not this is this what I signed up to and there's this whole kind of like identity crisis whoa (laughs) yeah what happened and how did all this time pass so quickly (laughs) yeah and often kids as well a lot of people find especially people who are a bit sense a bit more sensitive which I am I'm neurodivergent but people who've got a bit more sensitive experience the world in quite a, a, a intense way you have children and there's all this noise and you mm. can't get any peace and nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing and your nervous system's like oh, I'm really yeah. stressed out and that's the reason a lot of women drink as well it's like yes. you know how am I how do I manage all of this external stimulus when I'm already overstimulated but I can't I can't take myself away <laughs> and just get on with it yeah yeah because you're still responsible for your children to I mean as they get older in different ways but you and they also you are still the role model as well yeah. like I remember when my mother was drinking when I was younger and I was just there was there was an, a respect and a love there but when she was drinking that that interrupted that respect yes. and um, it created tension 100%. i love that you say it, and thank you for sharing that alpha it's such an important thing that whole connection mm. piece because we think a lot of us drinkers think alcohol helps us to connect yeah but it actually the opposite is true and that's like when my son said to me you know when you're bringing because suddenly you're not their safe person yeah and yeah. if they're safe persons, not their safe person, when who the hell is? Yeah. There? Yes. And that's, that's that was a really big wake up call to me because you're right. It's like as a sober person now who I've been not drinking since 2020, when when people have had a few drinks, I'm, you know, all good, brilliant. People do what they want to do. I do, it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. And I have no, you know, issue with anybody doing whatever they want to do. But you can see people's eyes kind of glaze over once they've had a couple of drinks and they start repeating yeah. themselves. And the yeah. connection, it really has gone. Yes. It's not there. 
Yeah. It's the opposite. Yes. Yeah. You just you disconnect and it's just I don't know, the the not even the alcohol, but the something's changed. Yeah. And you're not real anymore. Yeah. Exactly. It's like your spirit's gone a little bit. Yeah, it is a bit. That was a weird thing to say. I thought that's going back to my upbringing, but it's like it's like there's something yeah, no, I, I, I can understand what you're saying. It's yeah, yeah, there's it's different. Like you can have really beautiful conversations with people when you're in your own self. Yeah. And then the alcohol, people think it, you know, relaxes them. I was like, oh well, but it it, it disconnects them. Yeah. And that is perceived as relaxation. Yeah. Um, but it's actually not. It's a numbing kind of thing, which, yeah. But, yeah, it's an interesting interesting thing in the, the identity, the stories, and and then how our relationships change as a result too with our partners, our friends, our children, without that sort of, I guess we call it, because, I mean, alcohol is called a social lubricant. I, I was know. like, well, why? <laughs> I know. It's so interesting, isn't it, because I speak to a lot of my clients of um, socially awkward, so socially anxious yeah. Um, and, you know, even the most gregarious people can feel yes. quite anxious about moving because often we're not actually, like I say, often most of the people that I work with are actually introverts who've lived their whole life thinking they're an extrovert like me. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's the idea that they're not. It's like, wow. Yeah. And we, everyone goes through a bit of like, no, 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 no. But I want that me back again because they were so much fun. And it's like, no, mm. but what about the you who's the real you? Are you yeah. saying that real you's not fun? Because that real yeah. you would really love to know that she was okay too, you yeah. know? And it's yeah. once you start having those kind of conversations with people, that can feel a little bit more authentic and a bit more... Like once you start talking about the person we left behind yeah. when we chose mm. to drink in order to be this thing that society thinks we ought to be, that yeah. can change the conversation for people quite a lot. Yeah. It's like, actually, I left that little 11-year-old back there. So it might be maybe maybe she deserves some time now. Maybe she gets to have a voice. Maybe she gets yeah. to grow up too, you know. Yes, have a have a have a life, and it's it's interesting when you when we think like my my daughter's eight, so we're very much in the thick of learning. There's yeah. so much learning going on. There's you know reading, writing, math. She's doing different. She's learning music, like all these things. It's all learning. And like, where in this journey do we learn who we are? Where we're told so many things based on our ability to do something at a given point in time, which changes and evolves as we learn and grow, but we never really get are given the opportunity or are guided through how do we learn who we are. And my, you know, because I love all this stuff, my my daughter and I have these conversations, and she say to me, "Mama, I'm shy." It's like, really? Okay, so I'll, I'll challenge you. Like, so why do you think you're shy? And were you shy then? No. Were you shy there? Yeah. So what's what was the so we sort of analyze it a little bit, but I think it's very much that that we've we kind of go through life and then the alcohol kind of comes in as this layer on top to suppress things. And mm-hmm. then when we start to kind of question or there's some life ex- sort of trigger, perhaps like a child or something else that happens, you might someone someone might have an accident or whatever it is. It might, there might be something not very traumatic at all. And then we start to question and it's delving back into that that inner child that we never really got to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think that's the real beauty in the work that you do is to give people that opportunity. 
Yeah. I, I, and it's so wonderful, isn't it? Like this idea that you've, like I can think back to myself, all the different times where I decided to, that I wasn't okay. And, mm. you know, I can think back to sort of five-year-old Emma, 11-year-old Emma, 16-year-old Emma, who had mm. no idea what to do with all this amazingness of being yeah. a young woman and like, you know, about to sort of like, yeah. and it was just all too much, you know? It was like we have all this power, no, no idea what to do with it. So it's almost mm. like the only thing I can do is drink because I don't know, I've got to damn this all down because it's all you yeah. know there's so many choices I've got no idea and what choice I make now will dictate the rest of my life <laughs> that's it when that's I mean, life is an evolving journey anyway but we don't necessarily know that I remember my my stepdaughter when she was 17 and finishing school and she had all this pressure on her to make the perfect choice and I was like there is no perfect choice and right now there is a choice to make after that you'll you'll learn after you make that that decision and then you'll learn a bit more and now sort of watching her she's now 22 and seeing that 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 evolve and there's still sort of self-doubt and all of that but it's it's watching that journey going you don't have to make there's no such thing as a perfect choice and I was you know I two career changes by the time I was 35 so you know like and then it keeps on evolving so it's it's it really is a journey having some clarity over the journey is good but then we can only do that when we start to figure out who we are and what we want that's exactly it that's exactly it and I was so late to the party I had absolutely no idea until I stopped drinking (laughs) no idea yeah 46 no idea yeah no (laughs) so we could we could really go on and on and on I'd love to but um what because there's there's some really great work that you're doing and there was one thing in particular that we spoke about earlier what is how can people come into your orbit and what can they focus on to start with to get them really going? Yes. So one of the things that I've got, which is brilliant, is a um, it's a free awareness worksheet. So wherever you are in your relationship with alcohol, if you're just sort of like sober curious, you're interested, one of the very best things you can do, if nothing else, is to cast some light on your relationship with alcohol. So these workshops are called my awareness worksheets, and mm. they are really just about looking at how you drink why you drink what it is like almost like mindful drinking and that can just in and of itself can change your relationship with alcohol to one that's a little bit more intentional and a little bit less self-conscious so it's not like oh how did I end up with this glass of wine here and how have I finished the bottle and and just also kind of like putting putting pay to some of those myths around you know us it it being a a weakness of character because Mm. we're drinking which is is just not true at all um very much a chemistry situation um so there's that that's a really good place to start and then if anyone's actually interested in taking some time off I have got a virtual retreat coming up on the 19th of February Mm -hmm. and you can find that all the information about that I think Alpha will put it in the show notes but also on my website which is hoperisingcoaching.com and then I've also got a podcast called Midlife IF which I'm hoping Alpha's going to come and be a guest on for my humans as well Um, so those are probably the key places to find me um, but I would i reach out, send me a DM. I'm always up for chatting with anybody if you've got any questions. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. Thank you very much for doing the work that you're doing. It's extremely valuable because it's not just about alcohol. It's also so much more below all of those layers. Um, and it's, and I, and you, you're such a beautiful soul. Anybody who hasn't actually physically met Emma, 
She's a beautiful, beautiful person um, inside and out as well. So it's a very safe place that you'll be in when you're working with her. So thank you once again for being here today.